Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're, You're listening, listening to, to Mumbrella Cast. Welcome back to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Tim Burrows. It has been six years, but we are back and it's good to be back. Joining me to break down the week in media and marketing is our editor, Vivian Kelly. Hello, Tim. Our news editor, Paul Woolbank. Hello, Tim. And our senior media reporter, Zoe Samios. Hello, Tim. Plus, we've got our features editor, Josie Tutty, is pressing the buttons and has made the magic of the podcast happen once again. So, this week, we'll be chatting with Eardrum founder and Australia's most highly awarded audio guru, Ralph Van Dyke, about such topics as... The weird world of celebrity voiceovers. Voiceovers was like the ATM for these guys. Boring podcast ads. The only time that person is ever boring is when he's doing an ad. And Ralph's favourite brand of underwear. We're all wearing them right now. <laughs> yeah, That's all we're wearing, folks. More from Ralph later. Josie and I will also be picking his mind on what should we should be doing as we try and make a go of the Mumbrella cast once more. You won't have any trouble. But first, to the news and the headlines. Um, so let's start, and Viv, I might turn to you on this one to begin with. Ben Sharp, quite a well-known character in the industry as the boss of AdRoll locally, uh, then uh, finished that job when they downsized, and suddenly um, he got a new gig Adma, and even more suddenly he didn't anymore. What was that all about? I think we're yet to discover what that was all about and I don't think uh, Adma or Ben will be releasing that information anytime soon but I think it's safe to say that something has happened. You don't normally work in a job for two weeks and depart if everything is peachy. So, you know, the official word was that Ben and Adma were having a great time and then suddenly over the weekend the news breaks that he's leaving effective immediately. Paul, it's probably worth just giving a bit of context. Um, ADMA, which which part of the industry does it serve? So this serves more the data side of the industry. So uh, the organisations that are um, more in the programmatic side. And yeah, so that. they started life as the Australian Direct Marketing Association. That's right. The people who stick things through your letterboxes, I suppose, or used to back in the day. And then they reinvented themselves as the data-driven marketing association. Exactly. Which gave them a, a bigger footprint. Um, yep. So what, what created the vacancy that Ben uh, stepped into? So this was Jody Sangster leaving after seven years, and that opened up that vacancy, which Ben popped into. And I have to admit, I found it a little bit of a surprise that um, Ben had uh, taken that role because um, Ben, uh, with his uh, position in AdRoll and before that uh, one of the founders of Allure Media, didn't really strike me as the sort of person that was suited to an industry body. So I have to admit, I was quite surprised at him taking that role. And uh, yeah, as Vivian says, it's well, there's a lot to be seen on why this didn't work out. Though. So are we, and clearly it's one of those ones you, you always have to be careful around uh, libel issues, not that I'm suggesting there are any issues that might be libelous to talk about, but uh, one sort of makes the assumption that uh, cultural issues is sometimes what happens when someone walks in and walks out very quickly. 
particularly in these uh, industry bodies, because they do tend to get those cultures. And particularly when you've got the one CEO that's been there for, say, seven years, that sort of culture develops and it's very hard for the next person coming in. So uh, it could well be that that's one of the issues there. Interesting as well that Jody was CEO and then Ben came in not as CEO. He came in as managing director. And the wording around that announcement and how they framed it was even unusual at the time. So you can't help but feel that there's some politicking or change going on at Admar. And certainly it also strikes me that industry bodies as a whole, Dina, their, their place within the world has changed a lot over the last decade. You know, we saw uh, Publishers Australia effectively close we've written many times about the 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 problems faced by the the ami the australian marketing institute we've written about the uh pr institute of australia and their own financial issues which um and 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 challenges and so on so uh, so clearly it sort of does feel like it's it's not the best of times for industry associations. I think industry associations are sort of in a battle with themselves to proclaim their relevance. Uh, you know, John Broom has been at the helm of the AANA for probably about a year now. and Australian uh, Association of National Advertisers. Yes, and part of what he's trying to push is re-establishing their relevance and what they mean to members and what they can do for the industry. So it certainly feels like they're trying to show their hand and say, hey, we're still relevant and you still need us. This, to me, is one of the big issues, though, for industry bodies generally, is you've got this contradiction of, on the one hand, you want industry bodies to lead, to set standards, to, you know, to take a stand on things. But on the other, you have bosses who have a board to satisfy, who will all have different points of view. And if you speak too loudly and annoy them, then, um, you know, politically, that can't can potentially not be a, a, a great career move, which which to my mind is one of the reasons why a lot of industry bodies seem quite timid. Look, it's not a position I'd want to be in. There's so many stakeholders and everyone has a horse in the race and everyone wants to allegedly get so much done that it does seem like there must be so much politicking and so many battles behind closed doors that they almost constrain themselves and become ineffective. Zoe, you've been uh, you, you've been thinking about game shows this week. I have been thinking about game shows this week. It kind of all kicked off with um, something that was actually in the Sydney Morning Herald about um, speculation of a new British show coming in, which I don't think the network's actually been confirmed yet, but I think based on news this week we can guess where it's landing but this was um, pointless pointless yes which i actually have never watched but have you tim yeah the british version is regularly played here in australia on i think on the abc at one point i think it may even have made a trip to foxtel at some point as well and um as somebody who has british parents of a certain age um <laughs> they it, whenever one visits home then uh, pointless is droning away in the corner well there you go so i, I know that um endemol shine is um casting at the moment for Pointless. Um, we don't know where that's ended up. Um, but at the same time, Mr. Denya announced this week that... Mr. Grant Denya. Grant Denya, um, very we, well known. We Grant Denya. We Grant Denya. <laughs> Some of you might know him as the former Sunrise Weatherman. That's how I 
remembered him and then he went over to 10 um he's also the today fm one of the today fm breakfast show hosts so he announced on radio this i always week. feel with today fm we should say that one of the current um today <laughs> i think FM he's the 11th host. Yeah. 11th new well look we're recording host. we're recording this on thursday so anything could happen <laughs> between when people are listening as, yeah. as of um thursday what is it the 10th of may he is the 11th New breakfast show host. Um, and that seems to be his only job for the moment until 10 announces what new game show he will be hosting. Mm. Now, I thought one of the things that was interesting was he um, uh, shared his own thoughts on why Family Feud had run out of steam. Mm. Yeah, he, he spoke about um, driving it into the ground, actually, which I thought was quite bold to say that himself but I'm guessing 10 gave him the capacity to to sort of say what he wanted given he was um the host of the show um since it was revived I think we're using the words rested and and revived at the moment so he made the point that it was on air twice a day six days a week yeah which is quite a lot for a single show I think so. And when you look at the, um, obviously the average audience ratings over the years and even the last few weeks, I, it just, it wasn't delivering the audiences they probably would have wanted. It wasn't, I think it was running at 6 p.m. You know, you need to actually be building audiences towards the 7.30 p.m. slot. And at that point, 10 News was doing better um, in the last few weeks. So when, when something is not building up, in, in fact, going in decline, I can understand why um, 10 would think, you know what, we may need to rest this and, you know, it might pick up later on, but I can definitely see why it's been overworked. And I suppose just one one final point. When 10 and Beverly McGarvey, the the, 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 the programming boss at the time and, and, and now still, um, commissioned Family Feud, it seemed like a joke, this old show bringing it back with, you know, a f- arguably a failed TV weatherman. But it worked for them. It filled a slot and it, you know, it... It, it, it kind of rated okay. In the so, yeah. you know, it was probably, yeah, I, th- I think it's a, a programming decision that de- deserved credit at the time. I think so. When you, I mean, you can, I'm looking at the graph in front of me and I think it was averaging about almost 600,000. And for that time slot, that's that's quite sizable in its first year, but you see it finishing um, not even at 300,000. And that's when you see that we probably, it was probably well overdue. And, and the six six days a week, twice twice a day is just that little bit, too much, I think. And, and Vivian, I guess one of the ironies is that if you look at the formats, Pointless is basically the opposite of Family Feud. Well, look, I'm not familiar with Pointless, but that's what the English people around the office tell me. With Family Feud, you have to guess the answer that's given by, you know, normal people the most. And Pointless, you've got to guess the least Yeah, the, popular the correct answer. answer, which is the least popular correct answer. So, I mean, that's... An interesting twist, especially if we just bring Grant Denyer back for that. But either way, I think 10's in a really interesting position with what do they put on at 6pm? They obviously don't want to compete with 9 News and 7 News, which regularly bring in close to 1 million Metro viewers. They very deliberately have their news earlier at 5 so what can they put there to, to join their crowds? They can't fall back on old mate The Simpsons. Extend the project by yet another half an hour? <laughs> they could. Know. They could. Would everyone respond well to that? I think the tweets speak for themselves over the last few days when they when all this stuff broke. But I, I agree with Viv. There's definitely a vacancy in that time slot and putting something like Pointless in makes sense. Beverly talked a lot about it in the Sydney Morning Herald a lot about, you know, the new show and the numbers that it would do and how it would revive it. Will a game show have that same effect in 2018? I don't know. But 
time will tell. And, and if it is 10 that is launching pointless, then um, I guess we'll be looking at Oztam closely and, and seeing if it actually works. It is interesting too that they've picked up a um, Endemol Shine product from the UK rather than uh, tapping into the CBS library as well. So that's another angle that we should be looking at. There. Yes, that's right with CBS as the, the US owners. Yes, that is interesting because CBS do have game shows. I remember at the time that the sale went through, they had one on air which sounded awful. I never watched it, but it sounded awful, which is Candy Crush the game show um i'm guessing it didn't get another series i don't know but um time will tell yes do you know i wondered how long it would be in this podcast before the first one of us said only time will tell <laughs> i nearly went there with sharpie but i thought I would i'm leave so it. glad i got that prize <laughs> and before we um we, we we move on from 10 we should also just mention that um uh, neil shoebridge the communications boss there is moving on soon and uh neil will always remember you So it was also a journalist's favourite uh, day of the year, or political nerd journalists anyway, when they get locked in a room in Canberra with uh, sandwiches and coffee all day and get to read about the budget. No coffee this year, Tim. Did you not read? I did. They had to pay for it. Yeah, but they had to pay. I, I, I saw in the photos, what I could see was a lot of abandoned sandwiches that looked uneaten. It f- it, look, it felt to me, looking in some of the photos of the lock-in, that media owners could save a lot of money by not giving the journalists as many sandwiches last year because they just weren't eating them. Not sure that's the, <laughs> not sure that's the big issue, but, um, but you know, um, but yes. Tim always coming up coffee. with the, the tough questions. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, got to run a business, haven't you? <laughs> so uh, tell us the uh, key points from the budget. Well, the key points from a media and marketing perspective, obviously most of the attention has been focused on the ABC's funding freeze uh, and the managing director, Michelle Guthrie, has come out swinging in response to that, totally unsurprisingly, saying it's going to put pressure on whether or not they can actually fulfil their charter given that it's effectively, I think, an $84 million cut to their funding and the ABC obviously don't want that to happen. Paul, you're a bleeding heart liberal. What do you make of it? Well, I thought it was very interesting with that um, holding the ABC spending at three-year levels because uh, previously the ABC, when they've got stroppy, has said, uh, we're going to cut the rural services, the regional services, which, of course, is uh, the coalition heartland. So uh, that always has a pushback. And we saw, too, that there was a bit of a misunderstanding from the ABC that they hadn't been told whether they'd get their um, specific funding for news and current affairs renewed. There's been no mention of that, but it's not due for another year. And that was deliberately for news and current affairs spending. So what happens with that is going to be very interesting as well. And just question without notice, Paul, because the thought has only just (laughs) occurred to me. Um, You wrote a few weeks back about how the government had found funding for the Media Innovation Fund and yet they still hadn't published the criteria. I take there was no further mention in the budget of that. Absolutely not a thing. And uh, for a lot of the real political tragics, there were no more. Fu- there was no more mention of funding for Foxtel either, which uh, excited everyone this time last year. That was because they found thirty million to. Uh, that was to, to, to fund coverage of uh, minority women's sport. It was in no way just a bribe 
because otherwise News Corp hadn't had enough out of the media reforms. Absolutely. You're totally right there, Tim. On other fronts on the budget too, what uh, I thought was interesting as well was the uh, uh, the location offset um, allowances, which sounds very dry and boring, but this, this is the... Um, really? Do tell me more. <laughs> this is the funding for overseas productions. So getting uh, Warner Brothers to come and film um, Superman 47 or whatever in Sydney. Or, and it actually proves quite effective in getting these uh, productions there. There's whole government agencies devoted to And what this. has changed this time? More, more uh, funding? Th- they've or added different? another $3 million to that. So uh, that, there's a plus there. SBS got a bit more money back. And uh, unfortunately, the mushroom spawn uh, marketing levy uh, was uh, cut back, which is uh, $2 million. So if you're in the mushroom marketing industry, that's uh, a bit of a blow, I'm afraid. That was the one we were all holding out for. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Zoe, did you say see anything else relevant for media from the budget? I just thought um, Michelle's comments were quite interesting. Michelle Guthrie. Michelle Guthrie, yeah. Um, I mean, at the moment, uh, the ABC's had a bit of trouble in the last month or so with from their editorial team, and a lot of that's been attributed to the restructure and the transformational program that they under or are undertaking on the back of cuts previously. It just feels like more cuts at this stage when they can't really stabilise at the moment could be detrimental. I mean, time will – I'm not going to use that phrase, actually. Time will not tell, but – Except it will. Except it will. <laughs> um, I'll be interested to see how the ABC manages further cuts given how much they've had to restructure and how many layoffs they've already had. Um, where are they going to do that and how will will that put at jeopardy the quality of the content that they're actually producing? Now, perhaps we should just call the podcast Time Will Tell with Mumbrella. <laughs> um, now, fi- uh, sort of finally in our kind of news roundup, and we'll do this one quickly as there are legal issues involved, Amber Harrison was found in contempt of court. This was something that Seven pursued after Amber Harrison continued to talk about the case to the media and tweet about it after she had been told not to. And it feels like Seven were simply chasing this down just just to win it and just to make the point because they weren't pursuing jail time. They're not pursuing fines. They just sort of wanted it on the record that Amber Harrison had been in contempt of court and had breached the order because a seven spokesperson came out and said that there will be no further action necessary, hopefully, and they don't want to get her in any more trouble. They just wanted the win. Which they arguably got. Well, they did. Uh, the judge's comments were telling in that, the judge said, unfortunately for her, I can sympathise but I cannot excuse and noted that she did feel as if the justice system had let her down and she had been bullied by seven. But the judge said that doesn't excuse breaking the law and also sort of noted that the public might be sympathising with her and her notions of the boys' club and the difficulties that women can face in these scenarios. So even though there was the sympathy, she did come out on the losing end of this one. Well, that about wraps up today's news chat. Thank you, guys. I'll let you get back to the news desk. Thanks, Thanks, Tim. Thank you, Tim. So joining us on the Mumbrella cast this week... I want to always say the, the, the godfather of the Mumbrella cast, certainly the, the, the great uncle at the very <laughs> least, Ralph Van Dyke, founding creative director at Eardrum. Now, 
back in the day when the Mumbrella cast was a regular weekly thing. I mm. think you were you were certainly the uh, a, a, a great friend of the Mumbrella cast. And we were a, a way ahead of our time. Yes. Yeah, no, it was fun. And uh, hopefully this will be too. Yes. But yeah, that was good. It was a good podcast then, and I was, uh, I was always... Uh, I always missed it when it, when it disappeared. So. Well, thank you for Welcome re- back. Thank you for rejoining us. Um, <laughs> uh, you, you, you founded it um, 27 years ago now. Blimey. What did you What did you have in mind for it way back then? I wish I knew. Um, well, look, I loved writing. But, I mean, I'm a writer, so I loved writing, and I loved audio, I loved music, and I loved theatre, I loved comedy, and it also appealed to my very short attention span. <laughs> um, so when I set, I was working in agencies, and when the radio brief came to me, I really just, I loved it, you know, br- bring them over. I was the sort of the weirdo that would ask the creative director for the radio brief as opposed to be... It, it to be sort of like reluctantly taken from them. Now you touch on something there because it always feels to me like the the the, the perceived glamour even now in agencies is the TV ad. It's the thirty second TV ad is is where the creative teams are still broadly drawn towards. Mm. Why why is that? Do you think? Well, I guess the the creative departments are geared to, uh, well, they're incentivized often by awards and the the most prominent campaigns in terms of uh, media coverage, and it's pretty hard to get that sort of coverage or those accolades uh, with a radio ad. Um, the you know, it, it, you go to Cannes and you go to the, the other award shows, London International, DNAD. You know, people will start with what one. TV category and then they work their way down there. And if they're really keen <laughs> or really bored, they may get to the radio winners at the bottom. But which uh, is usually eardrum. It's yeah, well, hopefully, and we've won a few. But I think that the uh, so the, the the glamour things comes it comes from I guess the, the it's what earns the agency the most money. So the most senior people are working on it. The the the, the people that cost the agency the most will work on the jobs that generate the most income. Um, and so, you know, it, it, there's a, the, there's a focus on those particular jobs as they come through the agency. But I just knew that I loved it. It, it was, it was, uh, I could really have a lot of control. I could go into a studio. I could make exactly the thing that I wanted to make, the one that was in my head. And then working in the UK, you were working with the best possible actors that were, were around. They were all just hanging around Soho. So you'd go, yep, um, Helen Mirren, can you pop in? You'd go, yep, they, They'd turn up for an hour, walk away with three or four grand. They'd, voiceovers was like the ATM for these guys. And so they would all do it. They, there was no shame. Uh, so I was working with great actors, great musicians. I could execute these commercials you know, exactly how I wanted. And so it was very, very satisfying as a creative. I, I was looking back at the notes on the the last time we chatted on the Mumbrella cast six years ago. And uh, at that point, we were chatting about how much we loved uh, This American Life. Mm. This American Life, Radio Lab. Hey, um, This American Life. I can't believe that I didn't talk about this before. Did you get to see um, yes, Ira Glass? I did. Yeah. Wasn't he good? Ralph, how, how was your podcast listening habits changed since then well those would that, i mean this american life will still feature as my you know reg, one of my regulars and there'll be those go-to podcasts that have just 
stood the test of time, deliver quality regardless, and you just have a lot of trust in their editorial. For it to make it on on this American life, you know that it's been curated and been poured over and they've re- reviewed all the stories that they could possibly cover, and that's the one that they've chosen because it's going to be great. So you know, if, uh, that's what I love. And that's true to, you know, uh, for Radio Lab, um, other shows that are simpler, simpler in format, like, uh, WTF. Mark Marin is just a consummate pro or reassuringly unprofessional, to be honest. That's what I love about it. It's rough. And, but he can, it's just his, his turn of phrase and his point of view is fantastic. The people he gets in, are all at the top of their game, so WTF is great. Um, and, um, uh, and 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 from your point of view, I'm surprised you don't do one yourself. I don't. Well, we are actually is the the the, the but we're working with uh, a client. I mean, I, I'm passionately involved in music and I love music, so we're doing a new music podcast um, that that's in development at the moment. So, but that's because I know that I can dedicate. More than more time than I should, more time than a business owner should, um, you know, trying to you know earn a margin. I mean, it's long format. It's it's a, it's hard to make money out of it, and we uh, are I think better served to help other people with their podcasts and make them sound as good as they can possibly sound. So we're working in in, in a wine category and cars category, you know. Uh, 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 not not for profit, sort of disability um, podcast. So we're making their subjects um, sound great and making them sound tight and making sure they don't ramble. Uh, that they're edited beautifully and they're, they've got you know branding elements within them. And so all those things that that's that's what we'd rather do. Uh, but if I'm going to make my own one, it'll be about music. I can imagine by the end of the day, you're a bit sick of recording things and maybe you might not want to spend your free time doing that. Yeah, well, I, I guess it's, uh, it, you go to the projects that are, that give you the most buzz. You know, if you're going to, in long form, you spend a lot of time, a lot of time that you shouldn't be spending, <laughs> a yeah. lot of unprofitable hours making stuff. Um, so we'd rather just go in there, do, you know, help someone get the most out of their idea and their podcast make it sound great, and then move on to the next project. I told you about that short attention span thing earlier. <laughs> now, what are the differences in how one thinks about a commercial message in a podcast versus on the radio? I guess the main consideration is that the the listener has already chosen you. They have given, they're giving you their attention, their full attention um, on in, in a podcast. On radio, it's a little more passive. So uh, your advertising message is part of an ad break. You have to work harder to get the listener's attention, bring them into your world. And that requires a lot more cut through, be a lot more intriguing, maybe a bit more disruptive uh, in your ad because it's up against you know five or six other ads in that break. And you're up against the person cooking dinner or at the office or, or, or doing something other than focusing on their listening. So you have to work a lot harder in a radio ad to cut through. In a podcast, you've got the listener's attention and it's more about being sympathetic to the environment. So that's why host read, read scripts or, or ads are so uh, uh, prominent uh, because it's a seamless way of just bringing in a brand and giving it the endorsement of the person that you know and love and trust from the from the show. But, you know, they can still be really boring. And 
in some in some ways it's worse if you get a host doing a reading a boring script then it just stands out so much more because the only time that person is ever boring is when he's doing an ad yeah and so he must really hate that product yeah (laughs) so when we're writing scripts as we do for the hosts we have to you know obviously really get in tune with their tone and and their personality and make sure that they're saying something that they would normally say but we still have to have an idea in it because for the advertiser they need it needs to be remembered I think the best ones that I hear are just when the, especially if it's on a comedy podcast, if they're just improvising mm. and just having fun with that script, and that's when it really feels natural, absolutely, rather than just reading it straight up. But that still takes a bit of planning. So they go, okay, we're going to riff on this. So you go, okay, great, that'll be fun. We will do. I'll go into that thing, and you go into that thing. That's as much of the sort of planning as it needs, but still needs to be thought through. So um, what's your advice, David? We might as well get some free advice while you're here. So we were never terribly good at monetizing the Mumbrella cast last time around. Like we loved doing it. It was the mm-hmm. most fun thing every week. Um, and I suppose the objections we, our sales team used to hear were not enough data about the number of people listening, the cost per listener reach versus an ad on the website was a mm-hmm. lot more. Um, and where we did get them, it felt like, we never quite nailed the type of advertising and type of messaging. So it was it was quite sort of crude messaging. Uh, what should we do differently this time? Oh, I think the market's in a much different, a much better place now for you. I think you'll have a lot less issues uh, in terms of monetizing it. Not a guarantee. So what sort what <laughs> so, sort of businesses do you think should be? You, well, you start with the audience. I think that previously you were thinking oh, it's a podcast, so. It's audio, so we'll get a radio network to sponsor it because it's audio. Well, that's that's like saying we can only advertise in this newspaper to, if if they're selling print or you know newspaper papery things. It's this it, people have got their you're you're capitalizing on the fact that Mumbrella has generated an audience. So anyone in that audience that is. Um, uh, uh, sorry, any brand that wants to reach that audience, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, another, another publisher or a media agency or, a, um, it, it could be a product. It could be, uh, uh, I don't know. MeUndies. MeUndies, but it could be, but it could also be, uh, you know, a, a property place that's selling small that, by the way offices. wasn't product placement <laughs> <laughs> this would be but, a very clever way to do some product placement but i think the undies they're everywhere <laughs> we're all wearing them right now yeah that's all we're wearing folks um but no i think that you'll have it'll be a lot easier for you now i think the market is in, in a different place i think that the um the the your your audience you know through the newsletters and uh and everything new news newsletters is is quite defined so it's it's about the engagement that you will have with those people and to fa- the fact that you can have their ears for 30 seconds or so that's a very different proposition a much more valuable proposition to me than a banner ad on your website so it's a completely different set of metrics different level of engagement so um i think you you won't have you won't have you won't have any trouble So I guess one one um, podcasting network that has been really sort of intriguing me with their advertising is Gimlet. Hmm. Um, they they kind of have a a backing track where you can you immediately recognise that it's an advert that's being played to you, but the way that the advert is 
made it's almost like a mini podcast within the podcast where they're just talking about the product that they're selling but in just such a organic way, way. Yeah, yeah i just have never heard anything quite like it on a podcast before well gimlet do a lot well and they are doing they're probably the the most i don't know successful podcast network certainly in terms of their content the quality of their content but they're also learning how to monetize that um really well and i think that the, the fact that they've made um their advertising buy much easier so you can buy across all the gimlet podcasts and they uh, they have a standard sort of ad music, so it's it's a very efficient way of being able to you know reach a bigger audience through all their podcasts. But as a listener, it doesn't break the flow. But I think that that's uh, I mean that's the evolution. And there are there's some great examples where the host hasn't read the ads, but they've been good good creative, um, and there've been mini advertorials, like you say, that are in the same style of the show there's a podcast or actually it may i'm not sure i'm not sure if it's still going but twice removed which was exploring lineage and ancestry so what they did with their podcasts ads they took the advertisers like squarespace and the ones that you know were on all the other uh, podcasts as well but they made it like a vintage uh andrew's sisters um piece so they took the same information but dressed it up in in the style of the the, the subject that they were talking about. Uh, and as a listener, you go, great, you've, you know, that's being again sympathetic to the environment. And it made it interesting to listen to that, that same Squarespace message, which I've heard a million times and could probably recite for them, uh, was just given to me in a different way. And, and, and I appreciate it. I'll, I'll tell you the topics we talked about when we last chatted six years ago God. was, uh, it was, and I'll, I'll come to the, the the first one last, so to speak. It was Carl Sandilands was in trouble. Wow, man! Unusually, okay. shock um, horror. Rosso and Claire Hooper had a new show, so that shows just how mm-hmm. how long ago that was. Um, we were talking about the advertising outlook for the the coming year of two thousand and twelve. Um, Groen was going to be looking at the Olympics. Um, we were asking whether Sam Kekovic would be doing this year's Australia Day ad. So it was all... I think he it, did. It, it, I think he did just that one last time. My fellow Australians, it's been a year of calamity, natural disasters, revolutions, economic turmoil, and to top it off, un-Australianism has gone viral. But one of the ones was we were talking about how wasn't it time that the Australian radio in- industry updated its diary-based ratings system? Right. And when was that, 1912? Yeah, this, exactly. Or 2006. Six years ago. So I think it, was, yeah. it was January 2012. Right. So, you know, I know that you're, you're close to Commercial Radio Australia, the industry body. How do you think the radio industry has done in advancing in the six years that have, have since passed? Uh, look, I'm going to... Take the fifth. I, I, I steep. I, steep. I keep well clear of all of that. To be honest, I I was in uh, the states last week. I spoke at a Nielsen conference, and uh, I had three or four people come up and and say, uh, "So when are you guys going to be evolving that? You know, you're, you're measuring you know the diary versus the the people monitors." Yeah. So for and, those who aren't clear, the the system in Australia at the moment is, is a diary based system. So it's it's traditional old school uh people Pe- people knock in. on the door and say hello would you fill in this diary for a week pretty much please? yeah yeah uh but you know the arguments i've heard are that this is still the most efficient way or foolproof way or it has the the least um uh margin of error 
than compared to the other devices. But then, you know, you talk to the Nielsen people last week and they're saying, well, they, they've ironed out all those issues and it, the, the cost is now much lower and it's a much more efficient. You'd think on the face of it purely, it just, everything else has moved on. What's the, what else do I fill in by, with pen and paper? And, virtually zero so surely there must be another way of being able to uh, track what i'm listening to you'd think that there would be a, a technological answer to that do clients are clients actually that bothered by by it do you think no um i don't think so i think that it's a they there's a it's good enough for what we need to know now and uh, but i also know that you know when out of home change their system it was a real kick for them you know that that they saw a, a, a massive um improvement when they launched move, move which exactly. gave the data yeah, on yeah. what people were seeing so uh you know I, I think it's you know radio can't be seen to be um sort of holding back and and uh and not moving with the time so i think it's inevitable personally but it's just you know timing and which Australian radio shows are you enjoying listening to at the moment? Okay, well, that goes back to your question. Like, by the end of the day, the last thing I want to hear is commercial radio. Yeah. But I do make myself listen to it. You know, during the week, I'll, I'll dip into all the shows. So this week, I listened to uh, the new Today Breakfast Show here in Sydney with M, Ed. And, and the Grant. little one. Yeah, Grant. Grant. <laughs> Um, and uh, what did you think of it? Good. I think it's got. I think it's got potential. Do you yeah. think they've found their feet yet? Because obviously it's a new. It's a new grouping again. Have, have they got? Is the dynamic there between them yet? Do you think? Oh, it's way too early. Way too early. I think that you know, six months time, they'll they'll find their feet. They'll get in their groove. But it's yeah. I think. But from what I've heard, there's enough uh, to indicate that. The chemistry is there. The dynamics of the, those three individuals, um, you know, are good. I think it's a good, better than the previous ones. And other shows you've been listening to recently? Well, mu- mu- you know, I get my music jollies from Triple J, um, so uh, that that's that's my default pleasure listening on on radio. Uh, I will I'll listen to Nova in breakfast. I'll listen to Kiss, but that's more to stay abreast of. What's going on? Do you stream the, the non-Sydney stations so you can hear what's going on elsewhere? Occasionally. Yeah. Now, the big question coming up for Melbourne, Christian O'Connell, mm. coming over from the UK, mm-hmm. straight into a Melbourne breakfast show slot, huge move by Australian Radio Network. Will it work? I think so. I, I well, And a lot of that is because I really hope it will. I think he's awesome. I think he's a great communicator, great presenter. And I know it's a brave, bold move. Um, but I also think that that's exactly what radio needs to be doing. Commercial radio in Australia needs to be making brave decisions in formatting and, and, uh, talent. And, uh, and we have, uh, there's been a chemistry or a makeup of the breakfast show of the sort of t- three sort of individuals in that sort of audience targeting that sort of audience and i feel like it that area has been mined and it's just tiny degrees of difference from one station to the next and to have something that is uh clearly different and 
will be defined to me it's it's the seth godden kind of like you find the, the purple cow you you find that audience that's going to uh you find a niche audience or someone or you create a product that's going to target that niche audience and then you go from there but you really have those champions initially and they will spread the word so i think melbourne's a good market for for christian i think he will be energized by the move and he'll use it he'll use his fish out of water status to his advantage uh and i think it's going to be interesting and fresh uh so i for that i applaud the move and i really hope it'll work well ralph it's great to chat every six years so we'll see you back in uh <laughs> back in 2024 oh, i hope god right thanks a lot yeah cheers well, that does indeed wrap up our first Mumbrella cast for six whole years. But you won't have to wait as long for the next one. We intend to be back next week. So we'll see you then. Just in time for your Friday morning commute, hopefully. That's it for now, though. Toodle pip. Toodle pip.